Lord, that would be the cry of our heart, Lord, that we would be surrendered, our hearts and our souls would be surrendered to the everlasting one, to Jesus, that he would be king of our lives, master and Lord of every area, Lord. Show us more where we need to surrender to you. Help our hearts to be soft to your still, small voice. We thank you for your presence here. Speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. It's not in the uh, the schedule, but if I could tell all the, the worship team, if you could please... Be ready at the end of the message. I would want to end with that song. I know we didn't plan on that, but can I have the whole worship team kind of end with that? It would, uh, goes perfectly into the message today, as well as almost all the songs did, the firm foundation. We're beginning with the Sermon on the Mount. We're starting a new series on the Sermon on the Mount. We just finished Philippians, and we had it scheduled to where Pastor Terry was going to be giving verses 1 through 3 in chapter 5 of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, but as you saw, uh, there was something that happened, something about a baby boy being born in the week, so Pastor Terry couldn't get to that message, but he had put a lot of work into it. Um, so we were discussing how we were going to start the Sermon of the Mount, chapter 5, verse 1, without verses 1. Um, so I asked him, can you just send me the work you've already done for verses 1 through 3? And he's like, no, I really want to preach these verses so then I was left trying to figure out how do I start a series without actually being able to start the series. Um, so what I've decided to do is I'm going to give an overview of the whole book of Matthew in chapters 1 through 4 and also the entire book. And we're going to hit some general themes that we need to understand before we dig into the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I'm really excited about how God has orchestrated and worked it all out because these are essential themes. So we're going to be beginning in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and in preparation for this message, um, as we normally do, I preached this to a small group of people um, among staff and friends uh, this past week, and they sat in here as I preached it to them, and they said I should share some advice with all of you before I preach. Um, and they gave me this. They said I need to give you a disclaimer before I preach, and I told them that is not encouraging news. Um, so this is what they said. You need to tell people you're going to be covering a lot of scriptures, a lot of topics, a lot of really in-depth things, and for them to be ready, be sharp, grab your Bibles, be ready, because we're going to be going through a lot of scriptures and hitting a lot of topics, and I'm going to be giving a brief general picture of a lot of different things. So we're not going to get hung up on one particular thing for a long time. So I'm sure I may be inundated with questions afterwards. And that is fine by me. Um, so let me go ahead and pray, and then we will dig into uh, the passages here. Let's pray. God, we do praise you. God, we thank you that we can come here and worship you. God, we thank you that uh, we can lift up your name. God, that you are the firm foundation spoken of in the Old Testament, the prophecies fulfilled in the New Testament. God, and that you have stepped into our lives through the blood of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you may use me this morning. May you speak to us. May we understand some of these general concepts, but God, may we also understand what they mean, the implications for them in our lives. God, we praise you. We give you this morning, and we thank you for how you are working and how you're going to work. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to be beginning in Matthew chapter 1. 
And up until this point of history, we know Matthew wrote the book of Matthew. Surprise there. Um, Matthew wrote the book of Matthew, and he was Jewish. He was writing primarily to a Jewish audience. And depending on if you wrote to a Gentile audience or a Jewish audience, it changed what you were trying to get across, the main points. And so at this point, the Jewish audience Matthew was writing to, they studied the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And so that's what they studied, and those were written by Moses. They believed and still believe for those who are practicing that Moses was and is the greatest prophet. It is all hinged on Moses. So Matthew, who's Jewish, writing to the Jews, understood that he needs to focus on the Old Testament and Moses. And so that is exactly, exactly what we see. We begin in Matthew chapter 1. We're going to be starting in verse 1. And there's a long list of a genealogy. And it begins this way. So follow along with me in your Bibles. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Now, most of the time we start reading this and we go ahead and skip to verses 20, 22, something like that. But there is a lot of information in the genealogies of the Bible. Very important, especially for the Jewish people in that day. They would have been looking because this is that firm foundation establishing from the Old Testament who Jesus Christ is. And saying that, we're going to go ahead and skip actually to verses 20 and 22. We're not going to go through the whole genealogy, but it is very important. So if you have time on your own, study the genealogy. There's hundreds of messages, each even on those names, but we just don't have the time this morning. So we're going to skip ahead, like many times we probably do, and we're going to pick up in verse 22. So general picture here. It says this, this, these are prophecies being fulfilled. Matthew chapter 1 verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And he said this, behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Taken from Isaiah chapter 7. And uh, Luke read earlier Isaiah where they prophesied the cornerstone Jesus Christ. Again, pulling this in. If we move to chapter 2, verse 5, again, another Old Testament prophecy. It says this, They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Taken from Micah, chapter 5. In Matthew, chapter 2, verse 17, it goes on, and then there's another fulfillment of Jeremiah. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 23, we'll read this one. It says this, And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. So Matthew, speaking to a Jewish audience, he's firmly establishing the Old Testament, that these are the prophecies spoken, and you've studied, and you've studied, and the fulfillment is in Jesus Christ. So first point that we need to see here is Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. And Matthew's going to build his case to us and also to everyone who was reading him that day that Jesus and Moses were very similar in a lot of different ways. If you grew up in Sunday school, you may understand the importance of that. I didn't grow up in Sunday school, so I told my wife when I learned this, I'm like, did you know that this? And she's like, yeah, I learned that in like fifth grade. And I'm like, okay, well, I didn't. And so 
This is something we need to know. It says Jesus and Moses, very similar. Why is this important? Well, to the Jewish people studying the first five books of the Bible, they would have been very familiar with Deuteronomy chapter 18. So let's turn in our Bibles. We're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 19. And it says this, this is Moses speaking, the Lord your God, well this is Moses writing, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers, and it is him you shall listen to. Skip down to verse 18, in chapter 18 it says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you. So like Moses, someone similar to Moses, like you from among their brothers, And listen to what it says. I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I have commanded him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. We know that Jesus later prophesied in the New Testament that he did not speak a word that did not come from who? The Father. And here we say, we we hear the Father saying, I'm going to send you someone, and he's going to give me all the words. The words are going to be spoken from the Father down through Christ. And if people do not obey and listen to the words of the person being sent, it will be required of him. And there's going to come a day of judgment for those who have rejected the name of Jesus Christ. And God is going to require it of them that they give an account for everything they've ever done. And that is why we believe that he is the long-awaited Messiah. So Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. Let's look at a couple uh, similarities between Jesus and Moses. The first is they both had a childhood rescue. They were both trying to be killed as babies. The first one that we see um, for Jesus was how Herod was coming after him, trying to kill him, but God would not allow it to be done. And we see that in Matthew chapter 2. I know you're over in Deuteronomy, but let's turn back over to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to be doing that a lot today. So Matthew chapter 2, verses 13. Wait for some page turning. Matthew chapter 2, verses 13, we see that. And in Exodus, we see how Moses was also trying to be killed from Pharaoh. And he was saved and he was put into the basket, floated down the river and out of the water. That's where he got his name. Also, we see that they both went up on a mountain. They both went up on a mountain. Matthew chapter 5. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. The similarities here, it says, Seeing the crowds, Jesus, he went up on a mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. You don't need to turn to Exodus, but it says, Moses went up on a mountain to God, and the Lord called him out of a mountain. And Matthew is trying to show his readers that this Moses and this Jesus, they were comparable. They were similar. They both were rescued as a child, and also they both went up on the mountain. Third thing, they both spoke with an authority from God. We know when Moses went up on the mountain that God spoke to him with authority. He said, tell my people this. So Moses comes down from the mountain and he says, thus says the Lord. And he speaks with authority. We see in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verses 28. It says this. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. So they both spoke with an authority from God. 
the fourth similarity is Moses gave five portions of Scripture, and Jesus gave five portions of Scripture, and it's all in the book of Matthew. There's five different primary blocks in the book of Matthew that Jesus gave, that Matthew's trying to show, here's five, there's five. And all of this is because in Deuteronomy 18, it says someone like Moses is going to be raised up, and you need to listen to him. So the Jewish people were given a lot of evidence from the Old Testament, the genealogies, and all the similarities that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Charles Quarles, in his book, The Sermon on the Mount, says this, Just like Moses, the great Redeemer, speaking of Jesus, has cried out, Let my people go. He has removed their shackles. He has killed their harsh taskmaster. He's buried his body in the sand. He has crushed the power of the dark Pharaoh with one plague after another, and he has led his people to freedom across the parted sea. They are so similar, and it was to prove a point. The second thing we need to see is he came, and he was the long-awaited Messiah, but also his long-awaited kingdom, his long-awaited kingdom. This is something very important we need to understand as we study the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5. In the other Gospels, it's called the kingdom of God. In Matthew, it's called the kingdom of heaven. And why this is, is because in Matthew, again, he's writing to the Jewish people, and they could not say the name or the word of God. They could not say his name, and they couldn't read his name. So Matthew, instead of putting God in there, because they couldn't read it and say it, he used a different word as a substitute. And where does God live? In heaven. So he used the kingdom of heaven rather than the kingdom of God. So 31 times in the book of Matthew is the kingdom of heaven. 31 times. So we need to understand what is the kingdom of heaven. Um, I wasn't sure if people were going to care about this, but I was talking with somebody from our congregation uh, just in casual this week, and they said, you know, I've been reading and I keep coming across, what is the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Nobody ever talks about it. And he said that, and I'm like, I'm so excited that you just said that because it's in my message. Um, So at least one person cares, so I'm going for it. Um, The long-awaited kingdom of God. We see in Matthew chapter 3, let's look at Matthew chapter 3, the first instance here, and this is John the Baptist, John the Baptist, and he's coming to proclaim, and he says this, Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The next chapter, if you turn over to chapter 4, verse 17, we see Jesus, and he's saying the similar thing. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So both John the Baptist and Jesus came saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That word, at hand, it means imminent, near, close, right around the corner. So they're saying something to the people, and they're like, the kingdom of God is right around the corner. And and we can know Jesus was speaking to an audience. Like when I tell my wife, I'll be home in five minutes, that doesn't always happen. I apologize when I say that. But we understand that's a general reference. I'll be home soon. Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is at hand. And in fact, in Matthew chapter 12, we turn over to Matthew chapter 12, He says something very startling about the kingdom of God. Matthew 12, verse 28. It says that the kingdom of God had actually come upon men. So it was near in the first couple of chapters, 
in Jesus' ministry, chapter 12, now he's saying the kingdom of God is here. It has actually come upon you. This is what it says. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The same wording, kingdom of God, it's come upon you. And so we understood, and they understood, it was near and it's upon them. We are living in the kingdom of God. As Christians, we are part of that. This new kingdom is the same that was referenced in the book of Daniel. A lot of prophecies in the book of Daniel. I want us to turn there. Very important, chapter 7. Chapter 7, and we're going to be in verses 13 through 14. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. And maybe in your Bible, it's even titled there, The Son of Man, which the Bible says is Jesus Christ, he referenced himself many times that way, is given dominion, is given dominion. And verse 13, and I see a student over there who's sleeping, and I will call you out. You know who you are. No sleeping, by the way, guys, no sleeping, all right? We're going through a lot of stuff. I can do that with students because I work with them all the time, right? Everybody's like, all right, I'm awake. So Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, I saw in the night vision, and behold, with the cloud of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given, very important, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. He was given a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall never be destroyed. It is clear that a kingdom would be given to Jesus Christ. If we believe, in fact, the Great Commission and we're called to go well, then we believe we're actually living in the kingdom. Why is that? Well, let's take a look. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. I should just tell you, keep your finger in Matthew because we're going to be going back to it continually. Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, verses 18. It says this, Jesus came to them and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been, what, church? given. Same reference as in Daniel 7, it has been given to him. And because all authority in heaven and on earth and every nation, according to Daniel 7, has been given to him, we are commanded to what? Go. We are now commanded to go. Why didn't Jesus command us at the very beginning to go? Well, he wasn't given the kingdom. It wasn't at hand. We weren't living in it. Now we are. And Daniel 7 says, He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom and nations and people. And we are told in Matthew, because he has been given this, we can now go to every nation. And this dominion and glory has been given him, and we can now partake in that. So we've seen the long-awaited Messiah. We've seen the long-awaited kingdom. And now his long-awaited people. This is another big theme in Matthew, his long-awaited people. And the book of Matthew, as I said, was written to the Jewish people showing that Jesus came to fulfill all the Old Testament prophecies. He is the fulfillment of those. And the Old Testament covenant promises that, that was made to Israel was made to what is called the natural sons. The natural sons of Israel are the Jewish people. They are the natural sons. Okay, so we need to understand this. They're the sons of the kingdom, sons of the kingdom. I want us to look at Matthew chapter 8. 
Matthew chapter 8, and we're going to see, we're going to see his long-awaited people, Matthew chapter 8, and we're going to begin in verse 10. It says this, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, no one in Israel have I found with such faith. Now in this passage, he's speaking of a centurion who was not Jewish, who was a Gentile. So he wasn't only not a chosen son of Israel, but he was a Gentile. And on top of that, he was in the Roman army. So they would have, the Jewish people would have hated him. And Jesus comes and he says, no one in Israel, is he speaking of the, the nation, the physical place of Israel, or the people of Israel? Jesus is speaking of the people of Israel, the natural sons of the kingdom. He's saying, no one in Israel have I found such faith. So he's putting down the natural sons, saying they should have the faith, and they didn't. They rejected me, and this Gentile who's in the Roman army has more faith than my sons. And he goes on, I tell you, many will come from the east and and the west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom, and the sons of the kingdom were the natural Jewish people, right? While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. They will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the Bible is very clearly lifting up a Gentile. And it's saying to the Jewish people that have rejected Jesus Christ, they've been given all this evidence, the natural sons of the kingdom, what's going to happen to them? The Bible says, and Jesus is saying, they're going to be thrown into the outer darkness. Regardless of if someone is Jewish or Gentile, if they have not trusted in Jesus Christ, the Bible very clearly says, there is only for God or against God. There is no in between. And just because you are a chosen son of Israel, Jewish or Gentile, a lack of belief and faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible very clearly says, people who do not have that are destined for eternity in hell. And for those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that they will spend eternity in a new heaven and a new earth. And clearly he's teaching the same thing. So we see here the sons of the kingdom refer to the Jewish people, yet the Gentile was going to be given the greatness. Let's continue on in Romans 11. Romans 11, this is a very important passage talking about the chosen people of God as well. Romans chapter 11. Some of you, this may be the first time you've ever heard some of these things. Um, I know in some churches I grew up in, I never heard anybody talk about a lot of these things because some of them are controversial. But we're called to preach the whole council, so we have to go through all of these things. Romans chapter 11, verses 11 through 12. This passage is speaking of Israel, the people of Israel, and it says this, So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means, rather through their trespass, Israel's trespass, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion be? What are the Gentiles going to be fully included into? Some people say just salvation. Either you have full 
you've been fully included into something or you've been partially included into something. And we see later in the passage what he's speaking of, that the Gentiles are going to be fully included in. Because up until this point, the Jewish people had the promises of God and nobody else. And here we see the apostles coming and the Gentiles are starting to join in to the Jewish people and even receive the promises. Let's look in verse 17. 17 and all throughout the New Testament, it paints for us a picture of an olive tree. And I want us to imagine an olive tree is stuck here in the stage, all right? It's growing out of the ground. This olive tree, this is the thing God says, I promise this tree, this group of people, these promises. And he's promised some covenant promises with them. And then let's read in verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, you now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. What the Bible is telling us here, what God and uh, Matthew is trying to show us, is this olive tree that represents true Israel. God made these promises, and the branches are cut off. And every time the Bible talks about branches that don't bear fruit, where are they thrown? In the fire. Every time branches that do not bear fruit, Jesus says, are not part of me. So he cuts off natural branches. These are the sons of Israel that have rejected Jesus Christ. Those branches are cut off. They're thrown into outer darkness. And what is now grafted into this very same tree that these promises have been made to? The Gentiles. We've been grafted in. So it's still the same tree. The promises have still been made to the same people, the same tree, but the Gentiles, and it says the wild olive shoots, that's the Gentiles, have now been grafted in. And so with this, this is the new set of people. We, as the body, as the church, Jewish, Gentile, anyone who's trusted in Jesus Christ, we have part of this incredible gift, these covenant promises through Jesus Christ. Another main point that I really want us to make sure we understand, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. There is a wide thought that Moses gave the ten, what? Commandments. Moses gave the ten commandments, and Jesus came because he's like Moses, and he gave us a new set of ten commandments, the Sermon on the Mount. That's not what it's about. He did not come to give a new set of laws. That's another point. The Sermon on the Mount was not a new set of laws. And it's interesting to note, Jesus is working with that in the Old Testament. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 17, 1 through 3, and we will see this very clearly. Did I tell all of you to turn to Matthew 5 already? I skipped that one. You don't have to turn back there. I'll just read it. Matthew 5, 17, it says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So Jesus is saying, I have not come to abolish what the prophets gave you in the Old Testament. I've came to be the fulfillment of those. And in Matthew chapter 17, now we'll turn there, 1 through 3, Jesus is transfigured on the mount and, and listen to who is there with him. Matthew chapter 17, 1 through 3. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, led them up high on a mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face 
shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to him Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah to the Jewish people represented, Moses represented the law. And Elijah represented all of the prophets. So he's saying, I have not come to abolish the law or the prophets. And in fact, later in Matthew, those listening or reading would have understood Jesus is working right hand in hand with Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, because he didn't come to destroy those things. He came to fulfill them. And that's one of our main points. I want us to look through the Sermon on the Mount. So go to Matthew 5. We see in verse 17 that he's not to come to abolish these things. But let's start in verse 21. Matthew 5, verse 21. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of old. All right? Let's go a page over to verse 27. You have heard that it was said. On verse 33, it says, Again, you have heard that it was said of those of old. In verse 38, you have heard that it was said. So Jesus is not coming to destroy what was given to them. He's coming to fulfill every ounce of the law. And this is very important for us to understand because does anyone know why the law was given to us? Anyone? The law was given so that trespass may increase. And where trespass increased, the Bible says grace abounds all the more. What that means is this law was given to us and it is heavy. And it was given to the Jewish people and we could not do it. We still can't t- keep the Ten Commandments. We try and we fail. And we see that Jesus came and he came and he fulfilled every single one of these laws and he lived a perfect life. And because of that, he can take the wrath of God for your sin and for my sin. And he can take the wrath of God so that we don't have to. So he's saying, I came and I'm showing you what God really wanted for you. What God really wanted was not for you to just try to follow a set of rules because you have to, but to follow the rules because you want to. And you can't do that until you've been freed of the rules, right? Anybody ever tell you, don't touch that, and what do you want to do? Touch it, right? Especially with kids, you tell them, don't touch it, and they're like, I didn't even notice that. Now I'm going to go touch it. It's exactly how we are. And God put these laws so that our trespass would increase because he knew we couldn't handle it. And that's when Jesus stepped in to the picture. I want us to look at Matthew 5, verse 18. Matthew 5. Verse 18. And this is one reason why I wanted the song from the inside out played after the service because it's all about what the Sermon on the Mount is. It's from the inside out that we love God. Matthew 5, verse 18, it says this For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does teach them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless, listen to verse 20, this would have been a huge bomb dropped on his audience. He said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. So the The people reading, they saw the Pharisees and the scribes, they lived perfect lives from the outside. You look at them, they were keeping all the laws, 
the 613 laws, they kept all of them. They didn't break them. They even had laws to make sure that they couldn't break the laws. And they put all of these walls in front of us so they couldn't even do it. And they look at them and they said, I can't live that extreme life. And Jesus is saying, unless you live that extreme life, you will never enter into the kingdom of God. And so they're trying to understand what this actually means. But I want us to see in verses in chapter 23 what Jesus actually thought of the Pharisees. Because it wasn't about how they lived their life. So I want us to turn to that. Matthew chapter 23 Verses 25 and 26. Later in the book of Matthew, here. It says this. 23, verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees! First, clean the inside of the cup and the plate so that the outside may also be clean. This leads us to our last point here. Jesus came not for new laws, but for new hearts. Jesus came not for new laws, not to establish new, new laws, but to give us a new heart so that we can actually desire to follow what God has placed in for us to follow so that we can serve him, so that we can love him. And what he's saying about these Pharisees is that they looked from the outside good, but Jesus is saying, until you have me to come in and change you from the inside, you can never enter into the kingdom of God. It's all about Jesus Christ. Let's look at verses 27 and 28 in that same passage. He goes on again to talk about the Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you yourselves also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus came and he's very clearly trying to say is it's not about your righteous acts. It's about what's on the inside of you that matters. And because of this, Because Christ can come inside of us and give us a new heart, new desires, and new passions, we can actually live a Christ-like life. There's a couple of things that we need to make sure that we understand about this passage, and I'm just going to go through a summary. Number one, Jesus was and is the long-awaited Messiah. Number two, we are in his long-awaited kingdom. Three, we are part of his long-awaited people. Four, Jesus came so the law could be fulfilled because we couldn't do it on our own. Christ did what we never could. And because of that, we need to be thankful to him. We need to repent from the sins that we've done in our life, turn to him and say, thank you for living the life I couldn't and for dying the life I deserved. Because that's what Jesus did on your behalf and on my behalf. And that should drive us to want to worship him. And it should drive us to want to love others. And it should drive us to want to evangelize. And it should drive us to be more giving with our things, as we learned last week. Because of what he's done. Not because what I could do. Because we can't do anything on our own. And number five, as followers of Christ, the Sermon on the Mount does apply to us today. There are some people who says the Sermon on the Mount is only for when we're in an eternal state. And when you get to heaven one day, the Sermon on the Mount, we can actually live it out here because we are living in the kingdom 
And we have access to the same power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus had. The same access that when Jesus was tempted 40 days by Satan and he was going on that fast and he never once sinned in his life, it's because he was living and walking in the Holy Spirit. You have, as a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit living in you. I feel like we forget that sometimes. I know that I do. I think, well, yeah, he's Jesus. Jesus was tried and tempted. That means he went through the same temptations, yet he succeeded all of them because he relied on the Holy Spirit. We can do that. We can do that because we have the Holy Spirit. So this Sermon on the Mount that we're going to start next week, it's going to have, here's the standard God gave us, do not commit adultery. Jesus comes and he says, yeah, don't commit adultery, but even, even you're not supposed to lust. You can't even lust. You have heard it said, do not murder. And Jesus says, but I tell you, if you hated your brother or your sister and you have something against them, then you've committed murder in your heart. And he's raising the bar. And we can live that type of life right now because of the Holy Spirit living in us that he fulfilled the law. And I want to give a word of caution to us before we begin this series. Because a Sermon on the Mount, just like it was to the Pharisees, can easily become a set of laws and a to-do list. Jesus did not come to give us another set of laws. He fulfilled all the laws, and he is the fulfillment of everything. And we can trust in him, so these should not be a new set of laws. We should be growing in our relationship with him, and as we grow, we will desire these things in the Sermon on the Mount to naturally come out. And when we're struggling in an area, it's because we need to focus in more on who Jesus Christ is, his death, burial, and resurrection, what he's done for us. And I want to end with this. We should not desire to live out the Sermon on the Mount to earn acceptance by God. But because through salvation in Jesus Christ, we have already been accepted by God. We don't live it out because we have to. We don't live it out to earn acceptance by God. We live it out now as Christians because we have already been accepted by God. And that's why we desire to pursue the things of God. Let me pray, and then I would love for us to go into worship. As we sing this song, it is from the inside out that God wants to change us, wants to come in and make us new. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, you've never saw your sins for what they really were against a holy God, then I encourage you during the time of this prayer or tonight before you go to bed or even when we're singing, ask God to change you. Ask God to come in and make you new. Ask him to save you. For those of us in Christ, let's be thankful and praise him today that we don't have to live by a set of laws, but that he has fulfilled all of these things. Let's pray. God, we do praise you that you have fulfilled the requirement of the law. This heavy burden that was placed upon us that we so many times break. God, I thank you that you came. Jesus, we thank you that you lived a perfect life, that you died the death that I deserved so that now I can reap the benefits that you should have had. God, I thank you that we can know a thousand years from now, a million years from now, where we will be in eternity. We will be able to be at your feet, praising you, thanking you. God, we praise you for a new heaven and a new earth. 
that we will have new bodies one day. God, all of these things are in and through and by the blood of Jesus Christ, and we praise you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?